Argus Media, this is Driving Discussions, a podcast series discussing the forces that affect road fuels globally. I'm Jason Metko, spot ticker reporter here at Argus. Pleased to be joined once again by Argus's Senior Vice President and Global Head of Oil Products, Stephen Jones. In this episode, we dive into the more than $1 trillion infrastructure bill and how its passage would affect the landscape, in particular when it comes to electric vehicles and the energy transition. Stephen, good to have you back again, sir. Let's jump right into it. This bill and the implications have been talked about for quite a while, as we know. What does the field of play look like in the market once this thing gets through the goalposts? That's a good question, Jason. I, I think that the timing of the bill and, and the ultimate shape it takes as it gets passed in whatever form, it's a multi-multi-year issue, and a lot of those factors are already baked in the current market price levels for the most part. I think the issue becomes really whether it has success in enabling a continuation of the electrification of our vehicle fleet in terms of the oil markets concerns. So of the $550 billion infrastructure bill on top of the underlying $500 plus billion for the $1 trillion people identify with, there's like $110 billion for roads, bridges, and projects that would be multi-year. You know, that's what we consider typical conventional infrastructure. But what gets interesting is the power infrastructure is like $73 billion that would build thousands of miles of transmission lines and facilitate the expansion of renewable energy into the grid system. And that is a broad climate change, you know, contribution, if you will, to try to defossilize uh, the fuel power generation sources to some extent or enable the upstream inputs to be renewable. And as we see the vehicle fleet electrify, that becomes the question. How significant will that emission reduction and transition occur? Um, We have to keep in mind that in the U.S., our transportation contribution towards greenhouse gas is literally 30% of our total uh, GHG. One-third of all greenhouse gases come from that sector of which light-duty vehicles, passenger cars, and SUVs and whatnot are two-thirds of that 30% of our GHG, and it's the easiest to go after. So back on the infrastructure bill, how does this help? Well, there's about $7.5 billion that is earmarked in the infrastructure spending bill for putting in charging stations. And by some estimates, that's uh, pinned towards being 500,000 some odd stations, But when you look at the type of charging stations that would be needed, you know, level three, level two, along rural versus interstate highways or urban versus, you know, suburban areas and what that might look like, you know, the real number and current cost of these stations might be closer to 320,000 charging stations versus a half million. But let's put that in context. You know, the U.S. car fleet is huge. It's approaching like 290 million cars. And uh, when you look at the new car sales and the fact that current sales are off a bit, but historically we'd sell about 17 million new cars a year in the U.S. towards that total fleet that has continued to grow in overall size as that new car sale is a small percentage of the total fleet. So even if a large percentage of the new car sales were EVs, you can do the math and see how long that turnover would take for the vehicle fleet to actually end up in some form of plug-in battery hybrid electric of sorts. 
So it, it's going to take the entire supply chain to achieve these objectives for climate change. The infrastructure spending will help, but it's not the full solution. It's going to take car manufacturers, the availability of the cars being produced, consumer interest to purchase them, uh, incentives on rebate pricing that encourage the early adoptions to continue, things of that nature, which are very distasteful to some people to see the underpinning of public funding to encourage consumer choices. But if you accept the premise that climate change is an existential threat and something has to be done promptly, things like the infrastructure spending and policy changes in the regulatory environment are about the only mechanisms to really uh, accelerate those transitions. But the, the overall car fleet and the factors that weigh into these decisions on how it turns over ultimately comes down to, will the OEMs, the manufacturers, have enough of them available on a timely basis? And will they be uh, warmly received by consumer needs and preferences? We would expect that that transition evolves over decades and not in the next uh, five to 10 years alone. But the infrastructure spending, again, back on that theme, it is critical uh, to kind of jumpstart that process as many analogous historical situations would confirm. Uh, government spending can get things moving in the right direction for allowing an extension of that, that starting point to evolve into the trend of preferences. He is the Senior Vice President, Global Head of Oil Products at Argus Media, Stephen Jones. This is Driving Discussions. Stephen, I think the $64,000 question or the elephant in the room when it comes to all of this is not just legislatively if it's going to get done, but we've got COVID still in our lives. And hopefully soon a post-COVID recovery really gets going. How do you think that is going to either help or hinder these current market conditions that we're seeing, especially with EVs? Yeah, that's a good question, Jason. Uh, the, the situation around the COVID recovery is, will, will there be a change in people's driving needs and habits and the type of vehicle that they will embrace to do so in a new work environment post-COVID, uh, where people are working from home more often than not? Uh, even as people go back to office work, will their commutes and needs look different than what we are using as a historical basis for forecasting what the vehicle fleet turnover looks like? But more importantly, in the near term, uh, the energy transition and the fleet turnover is likely to be somewhat hampered by the fact that new car sales are way off right now. New car sales are on an annualized rate, uh, you know, 12 to 13 million per year not the historical average is 17 plus million. So already uh, due to chip shortages and car sale constraints due to supply chain issues and uh, the fact that used cars are so pricey and in demand, the fleet's not likely to see as rapid a turnover. So that, you know, the, the post-COVID recovery period and the timeline for which it, it represents will mean a lot on the critical start of getting underway with the energy transition requirements as far as the vehicle fleets are concerned. In the meantime, we do see uh, alternative fuels to try to defossilize uh, part of the transportation fleet continuing. Uh, renewable diesel, sustainable aviation fuels, things of that nature are moving forward rapidly in the space 
uh, and they're not necessarily waiting for, if you will, full electrification of the vehicle fleet, uh, but it will take all those modes to ultimately achieve some of these climate change objectives. But the post-COVID situation and that rate of recovery will define ultimately that timeline for the broader energy transition, which I tend to think will be hindered or delayed versus the expectations that many analysts and regulators would like to predict. I was just going to ask you, do you have a prediction as to when this recovery fully implements itself in the market? Well, we've already seen a significant recovery in in the U.S. in particular. The miles traveled shot up aggressively post-COVID, uh, but the type of miles being traveled, as I think we discussed before, are different. The number of people traveling are fewer, but they're traveling more miles, so the total miles traveled are up. The addition of people returning to work will change the shape of those type of miles and continue to compound or add to the total uh, recovery. I would expect next season for U.S. gasoline in particular to continue to see improvements off of this past year as opposed to already plateauing or declining. And our analysis would suggest that the peak demand on a global basis for transportation fuels and total oil won't occur until well past the 2030, 2035 timeframe. And that's really dependent on many other global car fleet transition paces, not just the U.S. The four largest car markets are the U.S., India, China, and Europe. And all of those regional factors are unique to those regions as terms of how they evolve. Government policies, regulatory actions, operating cost of vehicles, uh, the true consumer preference versus being mandates, what their car sales look like versus the fleet turnover. Those are all very unique factors for each of those large car markets. But in the U.S., I do think that uh, you know, the energy transition and electrification of fleet is moving uh, that direction, but it's going to take, I think, a little bit longer due to some of these consumer preferences versus government mandates that the other regional markets see a different proportionality on. Stephen, we'll get you out on this. Eventually, many think that this will go through Congress and then the president will sign it into law. Once that occurs, what's the time frame in your estimation to start seeing substantial changes in the marketplace? Well, the bill is mostly written around the funding levels with constraints defined around how those dollars get spent. And the money flow is grease to lubricate the pace of all this occurring, but it is a a longer-term cycle. These are multi-year budgets and not just an immediate flood of cash to automatically have, say, charging stations appear on all the main thoroughfares overnight. It's a multi-multi-year deal, a lot of design and development and permitting and other things need to take place for these dollars to ultimately be realized in actual projects. So just as many of the aid dollars for rent relief and other things, there are still people that need rent relief. Even though the money was approved and allocated and distributed to the agencies for ultimately helping people, it just takes time, right? So I think no matter what form or shape this process evolves towards for ultimate passing of a bill, the 
timing for these dollars to be allocated and the end result impacts are going to take three to five plus years before we'll actually see visible signs of the money flow into outcome of projects, uh, perhaps even a decade or longer for some of the true larger spends on transmission lines and, and the highways themselves. So you got to start somewhere. And if you don't start today, just defer and kick the can down the road. But it is a remarkable spending level when you consider the politics involved and the fact that this has been defined as a bipartisan effort on the infrastructure side. I think most people will say we've underfunded in certain areas for so long that some of the catch up is needed and spending and the type of directed spending that's going to happen is aligning with some of the public sentiment and investor activism and the global activist interest in managing some of the climate change. So uh, there's elements in there that, that help move us that right direction. Senior Vice President, Global Head of Oil Products at Argus Media, Stephen Jones. Sir, as always, it's an honor and a privilege to speak with you. Looking forward to doing this again soon. Thanks, Jason. Enjoyed it. Well, that does it for another edition of Driving Discussions. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please be sure to tune in to other episodes of our series. And for more information on Argus's global refined products coverage, please visit argusmedia.com slash oil dash products. 